We want everybody to come in contact with Chick-fil-A to have that positive, man, I'm so happy I went there today. Whether you're a little kid who just had their first shots and they're crying, or um, whether you're a couple celebrating their 50 year anniversary, we've had both. So it's fun to have that positive influence on people and see people thankful that they just came through and had a great experience at uh, our restaurants, which is what our end goal is. Just make sure you're happier when you leave than before you come in. You're listening to the Legal Skinny Podcast with Trisha Burita. I'm a 16-year licensed practicing attorney in the state of Texas. I created Legal Skinny because when I've been invited to do educational seminars on different subjects in employment law and leadership topics, company leaders like CEOs, managers, and HR professionals would often ask me where can they find a little more information on this and a little more information on that. Look, I get it. There's a lot of resources out there. But sometimes it's confusing and people are so busy. Sometimes people only have 30 or 15 or maybe even five minutes in their day to devote to learning something new. On this podcast, you'll hear me have discussions and interviews on topics relevant to company leaders. Disclaimer though, Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember, laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. Today, my guest is a fellow entrepreneur and business leader, David Chalou. David started his career with Chick-fil-A making $6.10 an hour, working up to director of operations, and is now a Chick-fil-A operator of his own franchise in Humboldt, Texas. He's passionate about helping people grow and achieve their full potential and is a strong believer in servant leadership. He graduated the University of Arizona with a bachelor's in general studies with a focus in economic and industry. Since my topic is growing within the Chick-fil-A culture, David was an obvious choice for my discussion because as you see when you hear his story, he literally grew up within the Chick-fil-A culture. I find the work and dedication that it takes to create the Chick-fil-A culture to be something to aspire to for many companies. In particular, the consistency of customer experience when interacting with the employees, you know, almost at any Chick-fil-A that you go to. I really enjoyed my chat with David as we get to dig a little deeper about how that culture comes about, at least through his experience and in his day-to-day. So I hope you enjoy this Legal Skinny episode, Growing Within the Chick-fil-A Culture. Hello, David. Welcome to the Legal Skinny Podcast. Hey there. I'm excited to have you here today uh, talking about uh, one of my favorite places, Chick-fil-A. So let's uh, let's get into like the beginning of this story of yours. So how did you even like first hear about Chick-fil-A? Like, um, how old were you? Do you remember? Oh yeah. So I was 14 when I started. So my uh, 14 year anniversary was actually last month. It's pretty crazy. 
Uh, my dad actually started off as a franchisee himself. So I worked for him growing up like six, seven, eight, nine, just helping out running around the school store. And then when I was 14, I finally got to legally start joining the store and work for him. So I got my uniform, got the paycheck and started working for real. And I always told him, I want to be an owner like you one day. I want to own a franchise. And he was always like, yeah, whatever, man. Sure. Okay. But as I grew up older and kept working for him and became a leader in his restaurants, he saw it became real. And lo and behold, we made it happen. We're an owner now. So um, grew up within his restaurants and just fell in love with it every day I was there and still in love with it today. So, um, so what, I now I have to ask you, what's your favorite food at Chick-fil-A? <laughs> Honestly, it's going to be cliche, but I love it all. It depends on my mood. Sometimes I'm in a regular mood where just a regular sandwich straight up is delicious. Other times I want to do my, uh, I call it the journey of the strip, where I'll what? have four, uh, four strips and I'll do one barbecue, one Polynesian strip, one buffalo strip, one Chick-fil-A strip. So the strips are delicious, but they're better with individual sauces. So I love doing the journey all the way around. Other times the spicy is good. Sometimes we're healthy with grilled. I mean, all of it's good. Depends on my mood. Okay, gotcha. Okay, well, so you're 14. Uh, you're you're working. Obviously, you're exposed to it before. You're saying, but so how did you actually like start getting into more of a situation where you would be considered to be an owner, like and get a franchise? Like, um, you're 14. I'm assuming they didn't offer you that deal at 16, right? <laughs> no. I wish. No. Uh, so funny story. In second grade, we did a career project, right? And mine was, I want to be a Chick-fil-A operator. And I actually still have the paper and it says, I want to be an operator because, and it's cute little things like, I can eat all the brownies I want and I can <laughs> uh, have people work for me and settle reports. And you can tell I wrote some stuff. I did stuff I did not write. Anyways, so I've always wanted to be one. And so me and my dad agreed when I was about 16, 17, it became more real that he's going to help me develop and grow and train. So I got to see and do things no other 17-year-old should be doing, such as looking at uh, profit and loss statements for his business, food cost reports, uh, customer service reports, things of those nature that I got to study and learn and truly understand. And every single summer I worked for him, there was something different. So there was the truck summer, right? A truck all summer. There was the HR summer, the kitchen summers, and so on and so forth. I uh, graduated in 2015 from Arizona and I joined Chick fil A's leadership development program, which is about a two to three year program, travel around the US opening up brand new stores or being the interim manager, which is the uh, manager for corporate in between franchisees. And while doing that, I uh, applied and took about two years through the application process. And uh, we made it January of 20 is when I got my store, took over day one on January 20. So it's been about a year and a half now. So it's quite the journey, long one. So traveling all around the U.S., did you notice that Chick-fil-A's are different in different mm. areas of the country? Very different. It's crazy. The overall culture is there. You can always feel it, always see it. But you work in L.A., it's very different than in Houston, which is very different from Atlanta, which is very different from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which I was in all three of those, four of those places. So it's very funny how it's the same, but it's also different in certain aspects. And that just goes to show the power of the brand, but also the individual cultural spin. And even the menu is a little bit different throughout. So it's actually interesting to see the little nuances. Wait a minute. Is there like a different LA menu than a Houston menu? Kind of. We have, we're always testing. So for instance, in Waco, uh, at this point, they're testing spicy strips. So if you go to Waco, you can get spicy strips. If you go to LA, at least when I was there, they had guacamole 
in New York when I was there, we had baked potatoes for a while. Uh, the mac and cheese was actually testing in Houston for years before it rolled out nationwide. So if you go different places, you can try different things. And then also, it's also fascinating, but each individual store's uh, product mix, as in what they sell, is different. So for instance, LA, California, they like their stuff spicy. So spicy sales are way more as opposed to somewhere such as Minnesota, Montana, up north, where it's not as spicy. It's more of, we want the hearty food, the chicken, the nuggets, the ranch. So it's very interesting. Sweet tea is obviously king down here. So the product makes how it changes store to store. So you can't just one size fits all. They're all different. You have to adapt your menu and you adapt your processes of cooking and getting the store ready with the market you're in, really. It's fascinating. Yeah, that is interesting. I actually would have guessed uh, for LA uh, that there was a guac. I was going to say it was like, is there some sort of avocado guacamole thing going on there? They're so like into their, uh, yeah, to their guacamole. It. <laughs> with the fries, I was in uh, Missouri and they have cheese dip there. So that was interesting. Oh, okay. Like, interesting. Mel like melted cheese. Yeah. Put it on the now I'm, now I'm going to be all nosy when I go other right. places and there's a Chick-fil-A. I'm going to be like, let's, uh, let's go check that out and see what's on their menu. Right. Just I did not that, hey, what are y'all testing? What, what's the test market over here? <laughs> There's barbecue salads, um, all kinds of stuff. Interesting. Okay, so uh, when you got into corporate um, and into this sort of leadership training, you know, was it, um, since you'd been around Chick-fil-A so much, was it something really new to you? Did you feel like you were exposed, like, on the inside? Now you're seeing how they build the culture, how they build the leaders. Like, what? tell me and take me through that kind of path of a leadership piece of it. Yeah, it's fascinating. So it's called leadership development program and it's always changing. So for me, I was in it for 32 months. Now it's a 24 to 30 month program and it's very much a lead and develop while being developed at the same time. So if you're the interim manager, you're trying to inject Chick-fil-A's culture at a place that you might only be for one month or six months. So it really teaches you how to lead and build and work with people that might have not, nothing in common with you uh, or they might have everything in common with you. So it teaches you what really you're about and then teaches you how to lead people. So it's fascinating to go through that process. And then you obviously go to corporate quite often and work at the corporate office and you get to learn Chick-fil-A corporate's uh, ideals and morals and um, what they want to achieve in their leadership structure and all of that. So you get the corporate side while also being field ops, field operations. So you get the field ops side and you're that corporate arm, so to speak. So you get kind of best of both worlds. That's interesting that you say that, that you get to, um, you know, basically you're learning as you go, kind of they're here, yeah. we're gonna teach you this stuff, we're also sending you in to like be this interim manager. That's a, mm -hmm. not a long time. If you get in there and you have like a month or two to really make sure that the culture is transitioning yeah. appropriately. Um, that sounds a little stressful. Was it interesting the first time you did it? Oh yeah. So what I did, um, 11 grand openings. So you get there about six weeks before the store opens and you help the owner of that franchise find their team, solidify their vendors, make sure the store is being built correctly, work with the GC of the building. So all kinds of people you're working with. And then you're there for about three weeks post opening with a training team that you select and hire and build. So you're hiring people from all over the country that work for Chick-fil-A to come to your store for three weeks and train. So actually, I was a trainer before I uh, became a supervisor. So I trained as well. I was in Manhattan for the grand opening of that store. I was in different places. So it's fascinating because you have a 
20-year-old who says, I want to own a Chick-fil-A one day and I'm training with you right now. And then two years from now, they're end up your partner at a grand opening because they're now GOS as well working with you. So it was very interesting that you're in that line. And then as the interim manager, you're there for a little bit longer. So I was at one store for about a month, which is very short, but I was also at one store for eight months and I was in Atlanta. So it became my team. I got there day one. I hired a bunch of people. I developed the leaders and it's crazy. It's been about a year and a half now and I still talk to a lot of them. So I made those bonds with them over the uh, working at Chick-fil-A together and just injecting that culture of our own personal culture, my culture, as opposed to Chick-fil-A's culture, those intertwine. And it was very fun to try to build that in a short period or a long period. Challenging, yes, but fun. Yeah, it's like an immersion method a bit. <laughs> mm, 100% immersion. You really learn it. You really learn it. Yeah, I had a mentor like that. He was like, uh, one one of them was more like, let's teach you all the steps. And the other one was like, let's just throw you, uh, throw right. you, throw you, <laughs> throw you into the water and see if you can swim. Um, both very effective, uh, interesting approaches. So um, I'm sure combining them together kind of gives you the opportunity to learn both ways. And some people learn differently. So I think that's kind of cool yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, fascinating. So now that you're, we're talking about the culture stuff and like, let's just get into it. Like, so yeah. like what... What is the Chick-fil-A culture? I would say it's built on just two things, uh, faithful stewardship and positive influence. So stewardship is pretty simple. It's just acting as if something you are given is, even though it's not yours, you're acting as if it's yours. So for instance, the store that I own and operate, Chick-fil-A owns that, but I'm operating it and owning it for them. So I have to act as if it's mine. Chick-fil-A feels as if the brand has been given to them, the Kathy family who own it, and they're holding it. They're stewards of that store. They're stewards of everybody who work for them, which is thousands upon thousands of people now, uh, from people who work at corporate on down to the 16-year-old kid doing his first job. So that faithful stewardship of all that's entrusted to you, which is part of our mission statement. And then positive influence, which is the second part of our mission statement, which is we want everybody to come in contact with Chick-fil-A to have that positive, man, I'm so happy I went there today. Whether you're a little kid who just had their first shots and they're crying, or um, whether you're a couple celebrating their 50 year anniversary, we've had both. So it's fun to have that positive influence on people and see people thankful that they just came through and had a great experience at uh, our restaurants, which is what our end goal is. Just make sure you're happier when you leave them before you come in. And a lot of and a lot of people would say that that's being accomplished with this uh, with the Chick Fil A culture. I think um, I think one of the news stories and also the effectiveness of the way that you guys handle your operations, yeah. uh, because I think there was definitely one news story, and I think it was here in Houston where they they um, but they hired a Chick Fil A operator to come in. Um, I think a franchise owner or, or at least one of their higher yeah, managers I, to I come in and help with the. Um, how they were going to do this drive-through COVID, um, right? I either the testing that. or the vaccines. I don't know which one, but it it was like a um, interesting to me that that they would go. You know how much how well known is the culture and how effective it is at moving people um, through. So talk to me a little bit about that because those those two big pieces um, I think are really cool parts of the Chick Fil A culture. And then how does that sort of trickle down to when you're dealing with the employees? Like how do you make the employees? buy into that? How do you make them feel, you know, they need to be effective and that they want to make people feel happy? Because I think that I, I don't think 
there, there's not many places I go to where I do really feel some genuine happiness coming off of the right. employees. It's crazy, but it honestly, it starts with hiring. And what I mean by that is when people come in to hire, if we hire 50, sorry, if we interview 50 people, we'll hire maybe three to five. And it's not because they're not great people. It's just, we are so selective from down team members all the way up to leadership. But where that comes from is the operator, the franchisees. Because Chick-fil-A's model of service is very based on the individual owner being in that neighborhood, being in that community, being there, you can't own more than two or three restaurants. So you can't be in New York having restaurants in San Francisco. You have to be literally in that neighborhood within 20, 30 minutes of that store at all times. So you're part of that community. You're part of that area. So when you're in there every day, you inject that Chick-fil-A culture every single day as the owner, the team feeds off that. And when you hire people who have those same characteristics of happiness, outgoing, smile, just genuine people, they build off each other. So it's that culture of you need to understand what we're doing and buy into it. And when we all buy in together, it is just, it's fireworks. And it's hard to achieve and it's even harder to maintain. But with Chick-fil-A's brand where it's at, everybody knows my pleasure. We're here to serve. So when we interview you, we bring that up. How will you serve our guests? How will you serve yourself? How will you serve your team? And we look for good answers of, I want to grow. I want to learn. I have that growth mindset. So it starts with the franchisee kind of being there and having Chick-fil-A's culture in the individual community. And then building off from there, finding like-minded individuals who want to be there and grow and develop and become just overall better. So that's interesting that you say it starts with the hiring mm -hmm. and um, the the selectiveness of the employees that you hire. But and actually, like it also starts with the hiring of who they allow to be operators, it sounds mm -hmm. like. Because if you don't have good operators, you're never going to find maybe uh, good people to run and, and to build these employee teams. So I had no exactly. idea. There's some sort of restriction on the location. Like you can't just like have 40 uh, Chick-fil-A yeah. franchises that you're own, uh, owning and operating? For years. I mean, Chick-fil-A is only about 60-ish years old now. So for years, you only could have one location. Then it became a – we have a differentiating between malls and freestanding restaurants. Uh, so only a mall and a freestander, freestander then just a freestanding unit, then two freestanders. So now we're at up to three freestanding units. And those are very rare that you own three of them. So individual operators only usually own one to two restaurants at most. And it's pretty, it keeps you busy. Only one or two restaurants. So you can't have those corporations that own 50 restaurants and they have district managers and they don't under, ever step in a restaurant. The owners of Chick-fil-A, we are true restaurateurs in the, every sense of the word where we are there daily we are right by our team and we set the tone day one and when you have a 16 year old kid working side by side with the owner of the restaurant which happens quite a bit that kid buys in because they can see if they want to grow and learn and become a restaurateur one day they look to the right right here next to them how can i learn teach me because you did it now i want to do it so that helps build them because they know they're not just some nameless person. They're, they're a person. They're, they are part of something bigger. And from the top to the bottom, we all care about each other. And that's that culture of togetherness. That's culture of stewardship of not just the business, but stewardship of the people who are within the business.
So how how tricky is it to become an operator? <laughs> I mean, because I've heard people apply for years and they don't yeah. get accepted in. Um, I I it appears they have um, uh, the ability to be quite selective in who they yeah. do show choose uh, to operate them. So I mean, you're kind of coming from the inside. You know, you had a family member, so maybe you got some cred there. I don't know. Uh, he's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> but it, but what exactly like? Um, what are the stories you've heard? Because I'm sure that there's some yeah. some some long some interesting stories on how oh, yeah. and people are devoted. Some, some people I heard have tried like took them years. eight years and they finally still got it. They kept yeah. kept showing that they were devoted and they wanted one. I know some people who have been in the process for over ten years now. So it took me about two years. So I received my application. Well, let's just start here. Um, you at first to apply, submit an expression of interest, meaning, hey, listen, I just want to hear about Chick Fil A. And last I heard, it's about 80 or 90,000 people a year submit that. Of those people, Chick-fil-A sifts through them uh, and sends, I would believe, about 40 or 50,000 applications, meaning the real application for a restaurant. And I got mine January of 18. And of those applications, about 25,000-ish actually get submitted back because they're long. They're essay. It's a college application. They're long. So we've already gone from 80,000 to 25,000. Right, I hear that. <laughs> and then after the application, you have a, I believe a WebEx or a WePow, basically a video uh, interview with just questions, not even a person. And then after that, it goes a we, uh, WePow, I believe, and just actual person interviewing you very quick, hour-ish, maybe two. And after they get through those, they're down to the, the single digit thousands. So they wind, dwindle down quite a bit. Um, so I did all of that in the first few months, I, January through May, and then I had my top grade in August of 18. Top grade is the big one. And I believe they changed it since then, but at the time it was the whether or not you'd be an operator and of what type of location you're truly competitive for. Because some people have the ability day one to step into a $10 million restaurant and run it like a champion. Other people need to go into a one or two or $3 million restaurant and get their bearings, figure it out, and then grow from there. Neither are wrong, neither are right. There's different. So I did my top grade August of 18. And then after you top grade, you're down to the single thousands, maybe 1,000. And then after that, if you get selected for, through top grade, they're telling you, you're probably an operator, but we don't know where or when yet. And that's when you start focusing for individual restaurants. So you get a consultant and they'll say, hey, I have a great uh, restaurant for you. It's in Nebraska. It has this, that, and the other. Are you interested? Because you have to select different geographical areas you want. For me, I was team Houston. Born and raised Houstonian. So I wanted to live <laughs> in, my, in my city. So uh, for me, it took a lot longer. It took a year between top grade and focus interview because I wanted to really be in Houston. Some people, it takes eight, 10 years because they say, I want it on this street and this area and this neighborhood. Now with Chick-fil-A, they design, they build, they do everything. See, we don't have a choice in that matter. So if they ever build it, then you can try to apply for that. So it takes a long time, but when all said and done, about 70 or 80 a year get awarded a Chick-fil-A franchise. So from 80,000 to like 80. Um, I don't know what the percentage crazy. of that is, but it's tiny. <laughs> yeah, it's 0. 0.00 something. It's, it's, it's ultra, ultra competitive. And it's about character, who are you are as a person. It's chemistry. Can you work with Chick-fil-A, work with other people? It's competence. Can you run a business? And then just who you are and how you interview. It's, it's a rigorous process. But I mean, as an operator, it makes me happy knowing that not anyone can do it. So that way I know our brand is protected. 
So we know that everybody who also owns a franchise is just as dedicated, just as motivated, just as competent as we hope we all are. So that's what keeps the brand strong and keeps individual stores strong. It's honestly what keeps our consistency so good. What is, I think, Chick-fil-A's most valuable asset, just our consistent approach to food and service across every restaurant that we're at. We're, in, we're international now. We're in Toronto. So internationally, uh, just that consistency because of the individual operator and what we all chose to pursue with our careers. And the fact that we're all so focused on one or two restaurants, it's, um, it's very um, gratifying. Well, now that you've crushed everyone's dreams that was listening to think that they were going to own a Chick-fil-A like, you know, this know. year, next year. And uh, good job there, David. <laughs> hey, you know, they always say the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. So if that's what you want to do, submit the application. Worst comes to worst, you wait a couple of years. But hey, I mean, two, three years on the line, you're in a career for the rest of your life and free chicken. Like, you can't and go free wrong. Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> if you're just listening to this, you should check out the uh, the YouTube video because he's got the Eat More Chicken Houston real cute yeah. sign with oh, Houston oh, behind oh, yeah. him. Yeah, there we uh, go. And the yeah, cow, more, there we go. <laughs> yeah, eat, eat More Chicken Houston. <laughs> so, okay. So we talked about the culture, how hard it is to have a franchise, um, yeah. get one. Um, let's talk about, you started to touch on it about now that you kind of started to develop this culture with your employees. Yep how do you how do you maintain it i mean how mm -hmm. hard is it because it can be very hard it's challenging yeah. for my employers that are clients of mine um you know culture is a hard thing to once you build a really good culture there is some uh some goodness on there that you can continue to build on especially if you've good good management working with you but there seems to be always um, something that you have to pay attention to and not mm. go, oh, I built that. It's great. I have great policies. I'm going to, you know, focus on this instead. Yeah. If you, if you neglect it at all, it's, it's, um, it's like a plant. I think you just have to like slowly water it, feed it, make sure that it's being taken care of or it won't continue to um, grow. And what are your thoughts on that? It is a never ending cycle. You are, whenever someone calls, Hey, are you hiring? Yes. Never stopping because it's that culture of we're always gonna look for what's next and who's next, that culture of how are we growing? And it's the single most important thing that I do as the owner of the business, it's create that good culture. And I would say it starts with the, the rock of the leadership team. You want an HPO, high performing organization. The thing is in a restaurant, you're gonna have turnover. It's gonna happen. You're gonna have a lot of people come and go, which that's natural. So what you do, what my goal is, is solidify a team that is my bedrock. They are my, in the sports analogy, my quarterback, my offensive weapons and some offensive linemen. I got those core guys. The rest will come and go, but they'll buy into what we have because that core group is there. So if you can build that core group and maintain it constantly, consistently, then those who will choose to come and go forever long will buy into that culture and then grow with it. So it is a daily struggle of keeping that culture, that morale, that team member fulfillment up and there's no days off ever. And as long as you keep that up and have your team keep that up, it's a lot um, better environment. And it's it's not stop, never stopping. So if the if there is problems in the culture, um, mm -hmm. it sounds to me like you you spend some time trying to keep tapped into the culture. I mean, mm -hmm. how do you stop yourself as as the operator, as the you know the high up guy, the boss? Like, how do you? Yeah make sure you have a pulse on that. 
So, I mean, as I alluded to earlier with operators, I only have one restaurant. So I'm there every day and I'm part of that culture. Now I'm of the age where I'm still relatively near where most of my team is. I'm one of the older ones now, I'm only 28. However, um, working side by side with that team, they, they get it directly from the source, directly from me. And yeah, my leadership is there and they give it from them, but there's a major difference when I'm there giving it that culture, that energy to my team that's around me. So it'll be on a Saturday holiday weekend and we're just slammed people everywhere, which is great. And then I'm right there with them. I'm not on a beach somewhere. I'm not in their dining room hanging out. No, I am right there in the kitchen or in the front counter serving alongside with them. That's what I love doing. I grew up doing it. I love being there. So that team knows that, hey, boss man's there and he's with me and he's working hard. I'm going to work hard too. And that just shows them that it's leading from the bottom. It's servant leadership, which I'm a big proponent of. It's that I'm going to build you by serving you and serving the area around you. And because of that, we'll all be better for it. Leadership starts at the bottom and pushes up. It doesn't weigh down. I like that. I like that. Okay. So, all right. So, uh, and that's interesting that you you get in there and you're doing the work with them right. when it's busy because I'm sure they do feel that that oh, yeah. they're not alone and um, that you're invested. So then they're a little more invested, which is kind of a um, kind of a difficult thing because not every type of owner and every type of business can do that. So oh, it's yeah. great that you get to do that. Um, how is I guess running a restaurant different than running maybe another type of business? At least your familiarity with you know. And um, and your type of restaurant is a little different even than other types of restaurants. So can you talk a little yeah. about that? Oh yeah, so quick service and sit down and um, walk up restaurants, drive through only. There's a thousand different concepts nowadays. And it's fascinating how different each and every one of them are. So for instance, if you're in a mall, the food court there is not destination. You're there to shop and buy clothing or technology or whatever it might be, and you happen to eat at the food court. So you want to make sure your food is safe and tasty. Probably not in a rush. So speed's not the biggest priority. So you need to make sure you're working on food quality. Food's good. Food tastes good. Food smells good. If you're at a sit-down restaurant, it's the ambiance, the atmosphere. What are you doing? So they're focusing on how are we building a totally immersive environment. When you walk into my steak restaurant, you feel that ambiance, see and be seen. If you're in a uh, McDonald's or a Chick-fil-A quick service, freestanding restaurant, drive through is most likely king. So it's interesting that you have to adapt your restaurant to each individual environment. So I had a lesson about this. I have a leader of mine who's relatively new to the quick service industry. He uh, works for me now, but he's had 10 plus years in sit down restaurants. A couple of weeks ago, we were um, holding on food. So we were a little bit uh, longer wait times. Our goal is around three to four minutes per order. Uh, we were in six or seven minutes holding orders. And uh, he kept taking more and more orders. And I just say, hey, man, let's, let's stop for a second. Let's get our food out and let's pull a register away. Only have two instead of three or four. And he's saying, why are you doing that? Because in his head, in a sit-down restaurant, you sit down, you have your drink, you have your appetizer, your bread rolls, all of that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's but, right. <laughs> wait, wait, right? wait, 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 your chips and salsa yeah. if you're... <laughs> chips and salsa, yeah, exactly. And then you, then you fill up and then you don't even want your meal anymore, right? That's right. But in the quick service, it's the opposite. You, uh, in general, people don't mind waiting to order, but once they order, they want their food quick. And what's two minutes feels like eight. And what's five feels like 30. So what I tried to explain to them is in this environment, 
take less orders, be way faster on food, they'll be happier for it. And you could tell that when you would order your food and then before they even were done paying, we'd have their food in their hands. They'd be like, oh, wow, this is amazing. It's so fast. <laughs> but they don't even remember. They just waited 10 minutes to order. They don't remember that. All they remember is it took them less than a minute to get their food. So that's the differences I had to learn in terms of sit down versus freestanding restaurant versus mall. So they're all so different. And if you can adapt to what you are being given and understand one size is not at all, even within the same Chick-fil-A chain or McDonald's chain or whatever steak restaurant chain, you have to adapt to your individual restaurant and market and environment. Yeah. And that leads me to a similar, another issue I think that's different in the restaurant industry um, and even in the quick service industry more so, but I think restaurants mm -hmm. in general and then quick service is that uh, a lot of your workers, like you were very young when you started working for Chick-fil-A, mm -hmm. a lot of them are very young. This may be their very first job ever. And not yeah. just like, oh, you get a, a first timer. You probably see a lot of first time job people that you're seeing. Basically, you get to build them up as to what kind of worker they'll be. Um, mm -hmm. But that's basically a whole generation that a large majority of us maybe in the more um, more business type world, we, we may not see these individuals yeah. or this. So, you know, what's your take on that? How do you inspire these young people? How do you get them on board? Like, what is what is it like managing, you know, when you have a young, I know you have all different ages, but yeah. I know that you do see quite a few individuals that are, are just their first job is, you know, yeah. getting to work for you. Yeah, my average age is 19 years old right now. So kids. Um, <laughs> it's funny. So you see these articles every now and then generation Y, generation X, millennials, whatever it might be. But the food industry, we have seen these generations and these people years before these articles come out, because we get them at ages 16, 17, 18, 19. So if you're in a law firm, for instance, you won't see them till they're 23, 24, 25 years old, usually. So that's not for another three to five years for those born in 2000, whereas I've already had them for 15, for five to six, seven years already. So we learn to deal with them younger. And the best way I can learn to deal with younger generations is just be there for them, be their guidance for them, and then just help them see a vision. Because in today's generations, mine included, I'm a millennial, we want to know what can we do to feel fulfilled. Fulfillment is a big thing nowadays, where it's not just work your job, get your money, go home to your family. Now it's, I want my job to make me feel like I'm doing something. So how do we in the restaurant industry make people feel fulfilled? And it's a daily struggle of what can I do? How can I help you grow? And where I do it is I find out about the person, the team. Tell me about you. Oh, you're in volleyball. Oh, you want to be a nurse. Oh, you're in school right now. You want to be a vet. Tell me about your dog, your cat. Oh, you have a cow. No way. Tell me about it. <laughs> so you really invest and then you don't memorize, but you really understand what they're about. And then you ask them about it. Hey, Billy, how was your cow? You told me she wasn't feeling well last week. What's what's going on now? Or, hey, Tina, I hear you're in nursing school. Do you need some time off next week for your finals? So you just invest in them and let them know that you are there for them, not as just as a worker, but as a person. And they will always respond to that because young people are impressionable. So if you can work with them on a daily grind and have them know that you are there for them, then normally they're there for you. Did you really have an employee with a cow? Uh, yes, actually. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you know, she, I was interviewing her and she goes, oh, I'm an SSA and my cow, this and that. I go, wait, wait, time out. Run it back like 
two minutes. You have here. a cow. You're hired yeah. immediately. <laughs> yeah, you have a cow. Like, can, can I borrow it? I got some marketing I want to do. Like, can we bring it in here? Like, what are we doing here? No, but it's you. You hear some crazy stories. I got one kid whose mom has a taco truck, and he's uh, 17. He's like, oh yeah, then I was on the truck when I was four years old making tacos. I'm like, how, how is that even possible? But um, it's the stories you hear. Some will break your heart. Some will make you laugh. Some are so fascinating. So you have to buy into them and you, they have to know that you are bought into them. And um, it takes time because some of them are guarded. Some of them are very guarded. Some of them are a little bit too liberal, what they tell you. So you got you gotta, you gotta <laughs> to, no find filter. Those, right? No, it's, it's funny. But then it's also interesting because with the younger generations, how they communicate is so different where for the longest time, when you were interviewing people and calling people, you would call them. Hey, what's up? This is David from Chick-fil-A looking to uh, interview you for whatever. No, we text now. Hi, this is David from Chick-fil-A and just sitting coming in for an interview over text and they'll answer immediately. It's crazy, but they don't answer texts anymore. I mean, our phone calls, it's all about texting now. So that communication, that different style of go to where they're at is very different than even my generation. And I'm still relatively uh, young in terms of the workforce. So it's it's fascinating. I'm curious to see how these younger kids work out next three to five years coming into the, the real world while the career is coming up. It's, it's I know. I, I have five-year-old girl twins, so I don't know what generation. Maybe oh. I'll send them to work for you, David. You can yeah, give them their first job. Ten years, <laughs> 10 years and they're on. Let's go. <laughs> that would be good. I think um, it's interesting that you're... Uh, you're talking about them and I think it's uh, fascinating that you're talking about them and they're telling you about places they want to be or what they want to be yeah. to some business owners. The idea that the employee is saying, I want to go work somewhere else. Yeah. That's a little scary to them because they don't like to be thought of as, you know, you're just going to spend a little time with that. me. I'm going to invest in you and you're mm -hmm. going to leave me. And you're like, I expect that that may happen. This may not be your, your only, you know, uh, career goal. Well, I think it's a great career. It's what I grew up with, you know, and it's what I did. Yeah. You understand that they may move on and that doesn't scare you. It seems to me that you're still okay with investing in them because you feel like that investment is going to pay off while they're here with you. Is that, is that your take on that? Is that because they're yeah. seasonal employees or, or what do you think? So, I mean, the average restaurant employee is what a year to two years normally. So you're rarely going to find those people that stick with you for a long time. So if you just chalk all that up as a bad job and you never depend on people or develop them because, oh, they'll leave me to go, whatever. Well, your culture is going to be terrible because nobody thinks you care about them and they're all just there for the money. But if you just understand and accept that they're going to leave, it's going to happen. So instead of not doing anything about it, just depend on them, develop them and grow them because then they'll serve servant leadership. They'll grow others. And you'll just have a perpetual cycle of young people coming in and leaving. However, they're teaching and growing others. There's this kid I had who went to work on cars. He's 18. So he put in this two weeks about three or four weeks ago. And when I say he worked his butt off those past two weeks, I was so impressed. I gave him a bonus on his last day. He had no idea. It was, it's a rarity that happens. But on his last day of work, he stayed late. He worked so hard. And I said, hey, man, come in. You were a man about this. You said you're going to work in two weeks. You worked full time. You even worked a little bit extra. Here's fifty dollars. Just say thank you for your work and go work on cars and be successful. Whatever you do. And if he ever wanted to come back, I'd welcome him to open arms. So it's that culture of he's only seventeen, eighteen. So I'm hoping that message I sent to him will help build him as a man. So that way, in the future, he'll have that same impact on others. 
because that's a rarity now with someone who not only puts in their two weeks, but works it and does extra and continues at that same level. So uh, I gave him a bonus and said, thank you for doing that. So it was, it was sad to see him go, but it's that it's going to happen. So he in turn taught people on the way out and that's going to keep that culture going. I like that. It's yeah. not enough for them. And I think it's interesting. You're talking about the fulfillment that, you know, this different generation is looking for, you know, it for them, the job, no matter what the job is, even if it's the first job and it's just, you know, a stepping stone in their world of their career, where they go. Um, they even want to see in that first job that they want to, you know, I guess I've heard it say where they want to serve, you know, it more than just survive. They want to thrive. They want to feel mm -hmm. like there's something there, this yeah. fulfillment for what they're doing. And I would say just building on that with the cultural piece, especially with people who are hungry and young and um, just with hiring, especially you need to be steady to hire, meaning don't just hire anyone. Sometimes we feel desperate where we're looking for bodies as it is and just get, just get in, man. We need you. We need you. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah. no, it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to hurt in the long run. So be steady to hire, be quick to fire. What I mean by that is if someone is not part of the culture and they're toxic and they are hurting you, there's so many articles out there that talk about how a highly productive, but extremely toxic individual is actually more is negative product productivity that hurts you more than they help you which is hard to think about like, oh, they're so good at making sandwiches or they're so fast and register or whatever, but their negativity brings you down. So be steady to hire, be quick to fire, but then also be ready to promote. What I mean by that is if someone's ready, don't be like, oh, they're too young or, oh, they don't speak Spanish or, oh, they, oh, 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 it's always, oh. If somebody's ready, give them that gratification because what is recognized and rewarded is repeated. So if you continue to focus on that and be ready to say, hey, you're ready, I'm giving you a raise and promotion, I'm going to build you. They might not be with you forever, but that little time you have of them, that will rub off on other people and then they will get promoted and so on and so forth. So I love that idea of just be steady to hire, quick to fire and ready to promote. And if you do those three things, odds are you'll build a good team in the long run. It'll take you some time, but you, if you have the right people in the right places. Yeah, I feel like, and I totally agree <laughs> agree with you on that. I'm obviously, yeah. I'm from the legal perspective, a little cautious yeah. about the firing we don't, but like I guess. <laughs> Documentation, document and make sure they do it the right. But um, yeah. You know. Don't take David's legal advice. He's not giving legal advice about firing, no. but he's, this what he's saying. not legal advice. <laughs> I think what you're saying for sure is yeah. that, I, and I totally agree with that. I mean, sometimes yeah. when I get the phone call about uh, um, an employer wanting to let someone go, I get it and they've already just really destroyed the culture at that point. And yeah. it's, and I'm getting the call because it's now like, this is it. It's like, they can't handle it anymore. They can see, you know, um, whereas if they're constantly like um, working to have a pulse on the culture, you yeah. can start to see it actually. You can really, really see, you know, where everything is happening. And I think it's real easy to, you know, ostrich in the sand that what's going on with someone who's mm -hmm. productive and um, but negative in the way that they affect the culture. And if you, if you do that, it, there will be parts of it that will be so hard to repair because yeah. the people around them will feel frustrated that you didn't do something earlier and yep. they all recognize exactly. that. I think so. And I do, I love that whole where you, you're really focused in the moment with them and what you're getting and what you're, what you're yeah. giving to them and what they give back to you. And, and creating this sort of perpetual cycle of the feeling of the culture so that it doesn't no, you don't get all, it's not a whole like drama. If somebody leaves, you guys are built to, it sounds like, 
you anticipate people will leave and that you'll just move people into those roles and that it's not going to be like, oh my God, drama every time there's some, you know, someone takes a step away from the business. What's next and who's next? Always just be thinking that. What is next and who is next? Because it's, it's, you're, you're never settling. There's no such thing as settling in the food industry. It's no matter what you do, it's going to be always changing. I mean, if you look at the culture of the food industry, I'm much sure I talked about this earlier, but 10 years ago, the big thing was dollar menus, right? Five years ago, the big thing was healthy food your way. And you could tell the differences in all the other competitors of Chick-fil-A and changing. Today's marketplace, delivery. That is what everybody wants. They want it now and they want it at their door. So the minute you think I'm staffed, I'm hired, we're good, we're done. Now, now I need to hire 20 delivery drivers and more chefs and more cooks, right? So it's, it's a never ending cycle of what is next and who is next. And Chick-fil-A is really big on that innovation. So we're doing Chick-fil-A delivery now where, I mean, yeah, there's Grubhub, DoorDash, all those, but we deliver, we deliver ourselves. So if your local store might be delivering, I'm delivering. So I hire drivers now. And the idea behind that is we're trying to stay on the forefront because we understand the marketplace right now, customers, the customer is always right. And what that actually truly means is what they demand as the consumer, the marketplace is correct. And right now they're demanding delivery. So that's what we need to reach and make sure we maintain that and then continue to provide that culture, that service, that food, that everything they've come to expect, but at their door. The customer is always right. Yeah, that's and that's a high that's a high standard to kind of work work yeah. towards. But um, well, no, it, it, it's right. I mean, as far as like I see what you're saying, and you're, you know, it's always moving. It's yeah. it's a constant thing, and a I think that target. it's not just the restaurant industry that's happening. In a lot of different industries. Yeah. It's just whether people choose to recognize it. There's a resistance sometimes to accept that the change is occurring and then not going forward. But I think from a business perspective, that's a really really interesting point, David. Talking about yeah. business, you are a, I would say, a, a, a young, um, successful businessman. So is there something you do in your like daily or weekly routine that kind of um, you think gives you some sort of self-growth or yeah. something that you strive to do, from reading to uh, yeah. you know, self-care or whatever? Uh, what, what would that be, David? Uh, coffee, first and foremost, coffee. Right? Nah. Um, <laughs> um, no, but honestly, twice a week, I make sure to take some time out and be my friends and family because restaurants will take everything from you and give nothing back. So you need to make sure that you're with uh, people who support you mentally and um, help you through everything. So every Tuesday night's range night with my friends, we go to the golf range and hit some balls and just make sure we t- talk and catch up with each other. And then I'm part of a bowling league on Thursday nights. So um, they always give me some time to recharge just mentally with my friends. And then outside of that, I can't stress enough books on tape. I love them. So in my car every day, I have Audible and I'm just listening to a different book all the time. And it's not always leadership books. Sometimes it's just books I enjoy reading, fiction books, nonfiction, or biographies or leadership books. So just always listening to something new, interesting. Some days are music days, but other days you're just listening to something you're like oh it's a a good idea i'm gonna use that i'm gonna take that so um reading consistently coffee and then don't forget your friends and family always try to make time to as our ceo um tim says guard your heart our president tim sapo say guard your heart take care of yourself because if you give 100 percent of 30 percent of yourself it's not very good so make sure that you are giving a lot of all of yourself not all of half yourself so Take care of yourself. 
Yeah, I love that. I'm an audible junkie as well. So um, (laughs) it's uh, it's too when you have a busy life, it does make it a little easier. You can you you can combine it with other activities and still Mm. accomplish uh, the book reading. And you're not talking about like a cassette tape, right? Because you know, obviously, audible on my uh, on my on my phone. You just plug it in and go. I mean, books on tape. That was where did I say books? You said books on tape. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, you know, you you had to plug in the cassette tape and put it in the thing, and you're 95. You're too young for that, David. No, no, no. Yeah, you're um, you're old school. No, uh, audible just all the time. And then, like I said, don't always if you always just do straight leadership books nonstop. That's great. But that's so much information. Sometimes you need to take your time and really digest. So maybe read something that you just enjoy just for fun sometimes. Maybe read something that's about a biography about someone. You never know what you'll get. My vision statement for my business actually came from Gene Kranz from the Apollo missions. So from his biography. So uh, you never know. And so read what you want and enjoy yourself. I love that. Okay. What about your team? Do you do any sort of um, team activity, something to kind of keep their spirits up? Is that something oh, yeah. that David has? I'm, I'm assuming yeah. it is. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, we're always, so uh, every three or four days I'm walking in with food from something, empanadas or can- or cookies or candy or whatever. Uh, we do t-shirt Saturdays. So on Saturdays we wear Chick- Chick-fil-A t-shirts. Uh, and then we're actually doing this new training thing where instead of training, so you know when you train someone in your restaurants, hey, you can do fries now. You, you're good. Good job, right? <laughs> well, instead, we have this new thing where we have blocks of training. Well, once they reach seven fry blocks, that's all the fries completed for the first one. And they have to have like eight different things, fries, sandwiches, cashier, so on. Then they get an incentive for that, which in the first case is $50. And then after that, they have to do it all over again. And next time they get a Chick-fil-A jacket. After that, they get paid breaks for a month or so on and so forth. So the idea is the team knows that while they're working, if they're constantly trying to learn or grow on anything, if they even try, they, they get a check. Doesn't matter if they know it good or not, but they, at least they're trying. And of course they'll learn because they're doing it. So the idea is they know that they can constantly work for that gratification is huge. And then on top of that, we try to do uh, quarterly or semi-annually parties. COVID kind of ruined that for right now, but uh, like main event type bowling things or uh, nice dinners in Christmas time. So just making sure that you're always celebrating them somehow, whether it's their birthday, anniversary, or just, hey, it's Saturday, let's get some food, why not, right? Um, so just that constant, how are we celebrating the team and making sure we're having a good environment, it's huge. I love that. You keep bringing up bowling. Are you a good bowler? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I have my games, but uh it's, it's just a fun environment to be in. I've always loved it. Yeah, true. I agree with you on that. I'm also a big fan yeah. of The Big Lombowski. I don't know if you know. Uh, oh, I love yeah. that movie. I'm a big movie guy, so I love that movie. Yeah. They make bowling interesting for sure in that oh, one. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I thought this was awesome. Um, I would love to have you do the Legal Skinny Rundown with me. Do you want to do it? Yeah. Yeah, do it. All right. Beach or mountains? Uh, why not both? Got the snowboarding trip in December and the Cancun trip in July. Oh, jeez, David. All right. Elvis or the Beatles? You got to pick one of these. I'm going to make you. All right. Uh, full discography, I'm going Beatles. Although I love me some Elvis songs, but Beatles got the overall just, you can't, you can't beat them. And your favorite Elvis song? You were telling me this before. Uh, yeah. Uh, if I Can Dream is one of my favorite Elvis songs. I'm not going to lie. It's a great song. But uh, yeah, Beatles overall for sure. Okay, most influential book you've read? Oof, uh, I'm going to go ahead and reference that uh, Gene Kranz book again, the biography of Gene Kranz. So he's Apollo mission director, and he talked about the Kranz dictum, which after the Apollo 1 fires really uh, got to me in terms of 
how to build a culture and build a team of the Apollo missions had hundreds of thousands of people working towards one goal um, due to Kennedy's speech about getting the moon within the decade. And it's, that's culture. That is culture at its finest. So his book really inspired me for some things. So um, that was a big part of my life. I, think, space. I haven't read you love space. Okay. So yeah. I got to check that out. That sounds pretty cool. Well, no, okay. He just always said NASA is tough and competent. So that was his dictum. And to this day, that's their model, tough and competent. So I stole it, but made it for Chick-fil-A restaurant. So I'm safe and caring. But oh, I, like <laughs> I, I, I like the idea of just two simple words. So I walked to anybody in my team and go, what are we about? Safe and caring. So stole that from Gene Kranz. So that was very influential on me. Oh, I love that. Okay. Dead or alive. Um, what famous person would you invite to dinner? Whew. Man. Uh, language barrier doesn't matter. Language barrier doesn't matter. <laughs> I've never been asked that, but I don't yeah, care. I'm just making sure. Uh, I, I speak English and some Spanish. Uh, you know, I kind of, this is going to be cliche, but I kind of want to go with Einstein just because he's so smart and interesting. And again, space, I want to hear about his relativity theories and the his time travel theories and the slowing down and speeding up of space. Plus, I think talking to him about black holes today and the new discoveries would be to hear his ideas based on the, we saw a black hole, we have a picture of it. So to show him that, be like, hey, look at this, tell me about it. Uh, it'd be so cool. So but That would be cool. I love that. No one's ever picked him. So that's a go. good thing. Okay. Not cliche then. Look at that. No, no. I've, had a, I've heard a lot. In fact, I don't think anyone's ever picked the same person. I don't know if they've, they've tried to go back and see who everyone else has picked first. Yeah, but so th th there's no like mainstays? No. Like, you know Lincoln what? Lincoln or something? No, you know, everyone has different, I've, I've, uh, I'm always learning about new people actually yeah. sometimes, but Einstein's yeah. a good one. I love that one. That's okay. Good. Um, all right. In one minute or less, what's the yeah. skinny on workplace culture to, for the busy, uh, company leader? Oh yeah. Um, know what you're about. Be able to admit you're wrong and adapt to that and then serve others. If you can do those three things, you should be a success. So know what you're about, admit when you're wrong and adapt to it and serve others. And that should help you with your culture. Oh, I love that. Okay. If someone wants to get in touch with you or visit your, uh, your Chick-fil-A location, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, just uh, give me a call. My name is David. I'm on Facebook, David Chalou. Uh, is my uh, information going to be on this, my cell phone and all that? Or you want me to talk what, whatever you whatever you okay. want to some exactly. people share more yeah, than no. others whatever you want no, to share just uh you know just give me an email uh david d-a-v-i-d dot chalu c-h-a-l-u-h at c-f-a franchisee.com just give me an email and we'll work something out so david dot chalu at c-f-a franchisee.com that's perfect i'll put it in the listen notes too so um cool. in the, okay well thanks for joining me today david did you have fun Oh yeah, this is great. Yeah, it was. I've been wanting to talk about Chick Fil A for a while, so I'm so glad that we got connected and and I got to have you on here. And your thoughts have been interesting, and I love that you have grown up in the Chick Fil A culture. So, um, thanks again, David. Fourteen years in counting. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. And that's the legal skinny on growing within the Chick Fil A culture. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Legal Skinny Podcast. I would love for you to go to www.legalskinny.com forward slash review to learn the super simple way to leave me a review to tell me which topics and guests you like. 
I value your thoughts and your review helps me support more company leaders just like you to grow as a leader themselves and to grow successful teams. I also drop the link in the show notes if that's easier for you. And while you're there, check out all the other resources I have for you as a company leader. And don't forget our disclaimer to remember legal skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney client relationship. Laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So also remember, this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you.